0: Dr. Christopher Habels Gray graduated with a PhD in applied philosophy from UCAL Santa Cruz and is best known for his writings on technology, war, and cyborgs, notably his book called Cyborg Citizen. In this interview, Dr. Habels Gray explains his ideas around how seemingly mundane technologies on social media help to blur the line between man and machine as well as his predictions about how our cyborgs will progress in the coming decades including our integration with drone technologies, brain machine interface, and more. We certainly cover a lot and so we'll dive directly into the interview. So Chris, uh, glad to have you on and, it, and the, the first question that I wanted to be able to run off of you is where do you see cyborgs today, and how do you see that definition as relevant to maybe technologies and progress that are, that are already in the works and maybe have been for quite some time? Some people associate cyborg with Terminator and with people being able to jump over buildings or look through walls or things along those lines. Um, how, how do you define cyborg in our present era?
1: Well, where do I see cyborgs today is everywhere. Because the term cyborg means any system that's an intimate um, interconnection of both organic and machinic elements, whether it's a human or a cockroach with electrodes in its head, or whether um, it's a human who's been vaccinated. So anyone who has been vaccinated is a cyborg. The question is not whether or not you're a cyborg, because most humans are and many other uh, systems and features, it's what kind of a cyborg you are. There's many different levels of the cyborgization, uh, including the far futuristic uh, uh, anticipations of creatures like Robocop. Um, so, the C, we have been cyborged already, is to understand that cyborgization is a continuation of the very process that makes us human, using tools, making machines. Now we make machines that we can, can be part of as intimate systems, and we make machines that be part of us as a nanotechnology. Interesting yeah. cyborgs that are along the line of but people are starting to think, and it's the only real type of the ones you see in science fiction.
0: Yep.
1: As, for example, the uh, pacemaker my grandmother had in her chest. Because she had a pacemaker, she lived 20 extra years. The heart normally produces signals um, that go back and forth to the brain to tell it to be regularly. But sometimes it fails, so people have a device implanted in them. It operates unconsciously, keeps your heart going a great advantage for twenty years, but then when my grandmother's brain stroked out and she uh, lost the ability to um, be herself, normally the doctors say the connection between the brain and the heart would have been her heart would stop, but instead the pacemaker was there and she lived in a coma much longer than she would have wanted because that was the cost she paid for a cyborgization, so that's the thing to notice. You're already a cyborg now, but probably only to a moderate level, but maybe you have
0: a thesis, that's be much more sophisticated. Um, but if you're going to be cyborg, sometimes there's a price to pay. too. For sure, yeah. Pros and pros and cons. The double-edged sword of technology as always your your notion of being a cyborg is sort of similar to to notions that that I'm familiar with from folks like James Hughes, the founder of the IET, or or um, you know even Kurzweil's kind of own view of of sort of this this scale and continuum of man well, and, and machine. To remember. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Remember, cyborg is not really a science fiction term. It's a technological term created for a 1960s NASA conference on modifying humans to live in space. It's a scientific idea, dealing with how systems work, um, the fact that both artificial, so-called human-made systems and natural systems follow the same basic rules, rely on feedback. Um, So that means that systems, whether humans make them or whether they evolve, um, can work together. That's why cyber is possible. So it's a scientific idea.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. We can't go
1: running off and just assume it was made up. Uh, James does great work. We've uh, often talked about um, the political implications
0: of cyber. Yeah, condition. that's that's his bag so for sure. It, yeah. um, so interesting. I actually was unaware of the origin of the term itself, but it's it's uh, it's curious to note that a NASA conference about. Altering humans to to live in space was sort of the the birth of, of the term itself. Obviously, now, years say? Ago. But yeah, of course, geez. The reality of cyborgs is further back than that. When
1: Manfred Klein and Nathan Klein, the two um uh, two scientists who coined the term, um, pointed it out, they brought forward examples of cyborgs that already existed, like a rat in Australia with an osmotic pump in its ass. Uh, little picture they put in their article. That's the first pictured cyborg. That of course. Systems
0: that are an integrated, an intimate integration of the evolved and the invented, you could say, yep. um, predate that. The 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 evolved and the invented. Uh, that's another interesting distinction and a nice lens to look through. Um, it, obviously, we've made it so far from the '60s in terms of our own developments. Now we don't have flying cars, but we do have iPhones and kind of further uh, progress down. You know that that. Uh, path of merger from more intense brain machine interface technologies to you know I mean everything from kind of biohacking kind of fad level stuff EEG etc. What are some present technologies Chris as someone who who's deeply involved in this field obviously to even teaching to some degree in this field um, what are some technologies that you're paying close attention to now that you think maybe have the greatest promise uh, at present for increasing that, that merger and that interconnectedness and, and connecting those systems. What are technologies that you have your eyes on that you think um, are sort of furthering that cyborg process? Well,
1: there's, there's two areas I'd like to briefly speak about. Sure. First, I want to add to thinking about cyborgs is the idea of the mundane cyborg. If you get in your car and drive your car and you don't even think about when you're driving and then you get out of your car and walk away, according to the specific scientific definition, you are not a cyborg because it has to be an ongoing, uh, totally unconscious,
0: homeostatic system, and that's yep. only temporarily So, yep. But uh, talking to Master Klein years
1: ago when I interviewed him, I know he's comfortable with this, and a lot of people looking at this have noticed that we have many relationships with uh, powerful technologies that we go in and out of this cyborg relationship, not just sitting in the car, but when we work on the internet and when we um, fly a drone, um, when we surveil someone through electronic systems, so we're seeing a real proliferation of these mundane cyborg systems. You were even if you're a militant uh, hippie Californian and you aren't even vaccinated, you still live in cyborg society. Your relationship to complicated machine systems is very intimate and ongoing, uh, unless you're probably off in the words and there's a few folks like that out here. Um, so the this, this cyborg division idea goes further. Just this tool use. It's a very complicated and wide idea, and machines is the next level of humans have sort of been putting our inventions intimately into the environment. The second, now we have this whole cyborg relationship. And the first thing I would mention is the drones are like social media, because so the drone is an extension of our physicality. So we can take this reasoning and predict the drones are going to become as ubiquitous
0: as social media in our lives. Hmm, so and Got it. And, and when you bring up drones, just to clarify, are you speaking about you know the kinds of drones that many of us are familiar with, the the myriad various and sundry startups that put four propellers on something and uh, you know slap a camera on it and uh, well, is that's this? Just, that's just what uh, we see uh, easily. Uh, my students for the last eight years have been
1: bringing in such drones to fly around class for our music But actually. On the cutting edge of drone production, you have um, tiny, tiny drones that can surveil you or maybe follow you, alike, and like a selfie drone. Within uh, five years, people have little selfie drones, so will always be taking selfies with them all the time. They selfie
0: ones. drones, wow, all right, well, talk about a future prediction. I, I like I like that one. That's that's not and daunting. Awesome. That's not daunting or and scary. Then, <laughs> of course, Amazon and many other companies are working on delivery
1: drones. Yeah. would be good for the environment not to mention traffic, Um, the vast majority of packages could be delivered to people. Of course, there's all sorts of technical issues with traffic patterns and with, uh, you know, sitting somebody's load of books dropped on your head by accident. But this would just be part of our postmodern existence.
0: Yeah, we just got to watch out for those flying books.
1: And um, even though there'll be selfie drones too, um, people will have little drones to follow you, maybe uh, your ex-girlfriend will decide they don't even need to know what you're doing. They have stocking drones, right? Um, there's going to be bigger drones that will do all sorts of work um, and sort of blimp drones that will transport materials. Uh, we've seen in the military in just a matter of a few years the transition from the majority of Sorte. The Sorte is a single combat operation flight, right? Um, now, but just a year and a half ago, the majority of such flights were... And, and there's both men and women pilots, and um, military um, operations is declining at an extraordinary degree. And this will now go to um, sea operations, undersea operations. Of course, in space, this is how it's been for a long time. We have to remember that when um, we control um, spaceships out at the distance and walkers on Mars, these are drone systems. Drones are not robots. Drones are chi systems, right? So uh, this is just going to become ubiquitous in our culture. It's becoming so we
0: aren't even noticing. Yeah, and this is curious, Chris. You know, because to be frank, I mean, I was expecting a, a brain machine interface angle here or some kind of a genetic well, enhancement. Oh, okay, about. great. Okay, yeah. We'll, we'll go. We'll now, go ahead on that one too. Yeah. That's the mundane type of. But
1: if you want to look at the cutting edge of both the power, you could say the promise, but also the danger of where cyborg techno science is taking us. Yeah. The thing to look at is optogenetics. Optogenetics is the um, giant, it's now an exploding scientific project to make it possible to use light to interface with brains, mammal brains, or human yep. brains. Of course, the target is the human brain. It has not yet been done in humans, but nope. it been done in time. It's a great deal. Yep. Now, optogenetics only works. This shows you that as cyborgian um, projects become more sophisticated, they involve modifications at a much more intimate, extreme level than ever before. So how do you get photons to talk to a brain? It's easy to um, stimulate a brain with electrons, pick the wires in and beep, beep, beep. But electrons are big and fat and you can only do so much. Uh, The the ability to control is very limited. Photons are tiny and quick, but the brain doesn't hear photons. So you have to genetically modify the brain by infecting it. This is what you do with genetic modification. By infecting it with DNA um, from a photosensor creature, bacteria. Algae, cells, yeah. Uh, algae, <laughs>
0: yep. um,
1: so that the brain will then respond as you want it. So they've been doing this work with rats, with also reptiles, with some monkeys, such that now they can implant a memory in a rat with, with light, and then they can send a different light course and take that memory off. And by flipping the switch, the rat will remember or forget stuff. They can put dreams, they can use dreams and put memories in the rat's dreams. They can have the rat send its thoughts from one to another. They can take over the rat's body, make it a meat puppet. They can do whatever they want, um, kill itself, run in circles, try to kill other rats. They haven't actually said, they've done research like that, but the aggression centers are well known. Um, this has been done with electricity. So it's still reassumed that this, this is possible. So what we're going to see is in the next 20 years is that first this technology is heavily funded
0: by the military, actually. Yeah, DARPA, order. of course, is behind optogenetics but, just as much as, you know, robotics and whatever else. Maybe but, not to uh, the same Obama degree, but... also has the big brain
1: initiative.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, the first, the first goal is to help people get injured, um, get the body to
1: talk, the prosthetic to talk to the brain better, maybe to deal with post-traumatic stress. Yep. But it's sort of a bit scary when you look at the DARPA proposal. They start drifting into, like, dealing with, um, some of the symptoms of post traumatic stress or oppositional defiance type behavior and uh, anger towards the system almost it sounds like so you can see that the temptation to um, try to modify people's brains so they're just pretty much happy with what's going on are going to be relatively great. So we're gonna see you know, profound medical advances, but we're also gonna see the danger of what could only be called, and I know it sounds like science fiction, you know, actual mind control. You have the inputs into a person's brain. Uh, you should be able to um, control them, and this is linked to massive improvements in reading the brain through real-time brain tomography and all sorts of mapping programs. Such that now they can track many memories. More and more, they can read memories from the brain. Uh, they can input images into the brain, and this is in human brains. This has been done, and it's not done without genetics, because at this point, um, it would be illegal to genetically modify the human brain. And, yeah, and. and quite optimistic this will be allowed because at first it will have tremendous benefits for people with brain diseases, Parkinson's, uh, with brain injuries, or with problems like that. So we're going to see an incredible improvement uh, in the ability to intervene in, to read, and to write the human brain um,
0: with the systems. And there's, there's of course a, a lot of various and sundry technology in sort of the, the BMI world. Uh, optogenetics one of the ones that's that's certainly gotten a lot of press and and certainly seems to have some some uh, vast advantages in particular regards, as you had mentioned, it's a lot different uh, if if people want to google the term optogenetics just the way that that you had sound it out. Um, you can you can tell that you can really kind of dial in the stimulus so much better there than you can by deep brain stimulation and just kind of jamming electrodes into certain spots. Um, exactly. but it's it sounds like you you really see a lot of promise in the optogenetic side, which I think um, I think many, many other folks do, for yeah. sure. In danger, you said? <laughs>
1: I find the possibility of somebody implanting memories in my brain and putting them off and on with a flick a switch, or reading exactly what I'm thinking, or being able to control my aggression and libido centers remotely. Yes, I find this very dangerous.
0: Yeah, I, I, think, I think it certainly has the has the possibility to be so. Um, and, and you had mentioned again the coming decades, some of these transitions may be possible. As my last question, Chris, I'm interested. You know, at Tech Emergence, a lot of the interviews that we do with researchers and CEOs and even investors and, and folks like that uh, is is around sort of where the progress is in these technologies, but also you know, without a crystal ball and making a claim to having one, some ideas around prediction around what may in fact be possible. Um, by certain sort of future benchmarks. You had mentioned maybe within 20 years, we'll have serious optogenetic um, uh, crossover with, with human beings. Um, in, in even just the next 10 years, let's say, the coming decade, um, what do you think will be some of the cyborg transitions that will be made possible by the next 10 years of, of technological improvement that, that you think will be um, both very reasonable for a decade's time span, but, but also rather impactful? Well,
1: I think what well, we're going to see that's most impactful for most people in this post-period are mundane cyborgs, um, aspects of drones, and surveillance, and surveillance, surveillance from below. As ubiquitous computing and the convergence of all kinds of computing systems makes uh, the Internet of everything happening all around us, we're going to see extensions of ourselves physically as in drones are, as well as mentally as in all kinds of surveillance systems is playing a major impact in how our lives are shaped. Yeah, and you, when you everyone yeah. carries around their phones. Yeah, to their phones so often, it's totally changed the actual fabric of how we experience life. The explosion of social media, and this is what we're going to see in an even deeper way with these
0: other things. And so, um, I, I'm, I like that, Chris, and I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I wanted to to get a little bit deeper on that. You know, I, this this notion of mundane cyborgs. Um, just to clarify for myself and for, for those tuned in who may not be familiar with the term, uh, mundane cyborg is, is a a system that regularly interacts with and is an extension of a, a biological system, um, but isn't invasive, is just sort of complementary and, and uh, effective in some kind of an ongoing way and extending capacity. Is this what you're referring to for mundane cyborg? I just want to make sure... Pretty much, my colleague Stephen Mentor
1: has really been uh, developing this idea, and so have a few other people. I think one book has just come out about it. But the cyborg definition, being scientific, involves actually homeostatic, that means unconscious, kind of relationship between the artificial and the natural parts uh, of the cyborg system. You know, cyborg system, living and dead together, evolved and invented together, um, organic and inorganic together. Yep. So um, technically, you can choose to go in and out of the cyborg relationship with the technology, then it's
0: not a full cyborg relationship. But you can it.
1: see though, that it has many of the aspects of it, and it's part of the whole process,
0: y- Yep, yep.
1: which is natural about how humans replace really the physical world of cyborgization. So I'm, I'm with this you. This going to yeah. just deepen um, incredibly in the next uh, 10, 15 years. That's
0: what people will notice most. Got it. So, um, and I, I may clarify some of those additional ideas for the article via email with you, but I, I, I like the vision. Um, just, just to be clear when drones as an extension of ourselves, so you had mentioned two things. I just want to dial them in and, and sort of get an idea for your vision of the future because expert visions of the future is sort of our, our, entire shtick here. Um, extensions of ourselves and also extensions of kind of social media. So we're talking about drones that do things and then drones that, monitor us or monitor other people, used surveillance in drones very much, what what might well, be, it's, yeah? It's
1: almost, I mean, drones can be part of surveillance. Exactly,
0: system, of course, yeah.
1: But also drones are physically, um, a physical systems that often interface with other people physically. Sadly, much of that interfacing uh, for the first stage of drone uh, development has been killing other people. There's something about humanity. Yeah. But uh, still, it is uh, a social thing to physically interface. with them. It's actually a social thing to kill other people. It's uh, an intimate kind of relationship. So surveillance can often involve drones, but we have many systems that surveil us. Facebook surveils us, uh, cameras everywhere. And what we're seeing as our society has been called the Surveillance Society for quite a while, but Steve Mann out of the University of Toronto, one of the main inventors of wearable computing, also an amazing person.
0: You should try to talk to him yeah. if you haven't already. Um he came up with the term surveillance. You notice
1: that by creating a massive surveillance society, it created opportunities for people to actually not just look down on others, as uh, the elite, the people in power, surveil us, but to surveil, to look up. And in fact, as in Chelsea Manning, as in WikiLeaks, as in Snowden, creating massive databases of surveillance information to be released to the world, which becomes surveillance and reveals how the world works. Or when the cops are beating someone up and people take their picture as surveillance. This has already led to fundamental changes in our culture. Black Lives Matter um, would not be happening unless there was video to show all those people who are naive about how the police work in the world what's really going on. Because before it was just the cops' words against the person who was brutalized or murdered, or, or the and yeah. the cops were the win. But now it's on camera, and soon we'll be seeing more and more drones. Images of police brutality. The surprising thing, since you're interested in the psychology of technology, is how long it's taking the police to realize that we can see them on camera. You know, when these events happen, the police lie about it instinctively, even though they know there's film that shows they're lying about it. So we're going to see uh, all sorts of incredible implications, many of them positive, the spread of surveillance and uh, Finally, that most Americans realize how people of color and ex-50s uh, like me who protest a lot are treated by the police. Uh, it's, a great, it's a great thing. Yeah. I thing. a cost to pay for this. We are going to be watched a lot uh, by a lot of different systems. Uh, it's going to be very complicated. I really recommend David Grin's novel. Uh, David's done some amazing thinking about all the implications of this stuff. Politically, he's very interesting, very pragmatic, sure. and yet very progressive. I'm really very impressed with it, and it's a very painless way to start exploring, both near-term and far-future, because he deals with both yep. how um, incredibly um, bizarre these transitions are for
0: humanity. No, certainly. We, we had David on the show, I think, something like six months ago, and I uh, I, I certainly have, have a lot of respect for what he does. I think he had referred to um, some of his work as... Sort of fleshing out what some of the sand pits—he used a term like that—sand pits of of our technological development might be. What what ruts might we run into that really would put us in a bad uh, economic or sociological or, or you know position in terms of how we relate to each other, how life is, or how we could harm one another? Right. And I think that fictions, the whole way, yeah. The whole crisis of the earth, which even an ancient institution as the Catholic Church has finally
1: noticed, is because of this intense cyborgian wave of how we are dealing with the natural world. Yeah. We have made the Earth a cyborg, um, and some ways, uh, good, I mean, now there's a nervous system, humans can communicate quite quickly around the whole world, that's, I think, in the long term, a positive. But also, we polluted the Earth with our excrement, without even noticing it, to the point we are on the verge of a sixth-grade extinction, and we threaten our own survival. We have to manage ourselves as cyborgs, and that includes managing the earth as a cyborg earth, and not managing it by how we can in the short term maximize the profits of a very few people. This has actually led us into disaster, and it will doom humanity. We're going to continue to be politically um, driven by the profits that a few people want to extract from uh, the rest of the world.
0: Yeah, I think there's some some rather complicated incentives and, and dynamics at play. Uh, I will say, Chris, my deep hope is that uh, proliferating conversations around what this transition might be like and why it's so important. Uh, hopefully, we'll, we'll shed more light and, and ignite more minds around the import of just those kinds of topics. And I, I sincerely appreciate you being able to take the time here, Chris, and and be with us on the interview at Tech Emergence. If people want to learn more from you uh, or about what you do, where would they go on the web to find you? I should just
1: search my name. Uh, I have my own website. I've got a link to many of my papers. My first book on postmodern war is there, where I talk about their intimate relationship between humans and machines, especially computers and humans, and the psychological aspects that's affected US military policy. So yes, my book's widely available, I have five books published, uh, 200 articles, so
0: you can find me now thanks to the Internet. Yes, indeed. Yeah, Citizen, Citizen Cyborg as well, of course, and, and the rest of your work's there. So um, look for look for Mr. Chris on the web. And Chris, again, thank you so much for being able to be here on the interview.
1: No problem. Thank you.
0: Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker, uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential, then make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, if you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, And be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, More than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. um, You can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Uh, So with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week.